President Obama and I spoke positively of the progress made in the China-U.S. relationship since the new American administration took office. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. Today is Wednesday, November 18th. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. That was Chinese President Hu Jintao speaking through a translator you heard at the top. And today on the podcast, we have a conversation about China with NPR's own Frank Langfitt. He just got back from a trip throughout Asia. I have to say, Adam, it's a pretty fascinating conversation. Frank lived in China from 1997 to 2002 and visited again several times. The last visit was during the Olympics. And he says it's unbelievable how much the country's changed even since his last trip there. We'll get to all of that in a minute. But first, of course, as per tradition, the Planet Money Indicator. <laughs> and right. as per tradition, you are making wrinkling sounds of a perfectly uh, unrelated piece of paper. I just try and add a little drama. I know, you're just like, it's like as if we live in, a, in, a, in the old world where like the indicator come over like teletype or something like that. <laughs> like, you're not fooling I anybody. I feel like Ira taught me that it's nice to create a three-dimensional <laughs> sense of space. No, go for it. I think it's working. All right. Well, the indicator is a dismal 10.6%. Ugh. That is housing starts. They dropped by 10.6% in October. And housing starts is one of those economic indicators you hear that actually is exactly what it says it is, the number of new home constructions that started in a given month. So for the previous few months, you know, over the summer and into the early fall, there was a lot more new homes being built. And, you know, a lot of economists were saying, hey, that's good news. The housing market is coming back. Home builders are optimistic. People are willing to invest in new houses. And take advantage of the tax credit on new home purchases. Right. And, and that seems to be the issue. People are not so sure how long the tax credit is going to be available. And, you know, when a building is constructed, often it's a company that's building it on spec, hoping that someone will buy it. But those companies are worried that, you know, a few months from now, maybe people won't be buying so many homes. So they started building a lot fewer homes than economists thought they would be. Ooh, one more sign that the U.S. economy might not be growing. One place where the economy is growing, oh. Adam, <laughs> thank you, is, uh, of course, China, which brings us to Frank Langfitt, our NPR reporter just back from a visit there. Frank was in Asia for a total of 17 days. He spent the first week in Taiwan and the rest of the time visiting different cities in mainland China. He told us that when he went there, he was bracing for an attitude from the Chinese. The Chinese, he says, have gotten a little frustrated being lectured to all the time by the U.S. on financial matters. And he thought that this might be a time for him as a representative of the U.S. to get the lectures himself, to hear a lot of gloating given our recent financial meltdown. When I got to the mainland, I expected more triumphalism, you know, and I think maybe at the high end with the top business people in China, you would probably get the, you know, you guys have lectured us for a long time and now look what you've done. But when I started talking about our economy, I got some really interesting reactions. Like there was one cabbie I was telling him about all our problems and we have so many people unemployed in the United States and the, the economy's coming back really slowly. And he kind of looked at me and said, you guys are a developed economy. We're still relatively poor. 
And, uh, you know, it was funny because he was kind of bucking me up. And it wasn't, it wasn't, and it wasn't actually politeness because if it's like one or two people and they paused before they answered, then, then you know they're just being polite. But this was like, he looked at me kind of funny, like, you're not seeing the big picture here. And so as I talked to more and more Chinese, people would say, yes, you guys have really screwed up. And yes, we're really on a roll and we're very confident. But your economy is still two and a half to three times the size of ours. And if, if you go outside of Beijing, people are still relatively poor. And were, was it sort of like, were, were they actually trying to make you feel better? Or were they like sort of like a little fed up, like you're like the supermodel running off about how fat you are? No, it was really, it wasn't that. It really was sort of a, I mean, it's the funniest thing, but it was more like, uh, you know, things are bad right now. But, you know, Chinese, they think of history in a much longer terms than we do. Uh-huh. And, and they were sort of saying... Um, see the big picture. You're missing the big picture. Now, the estimates when you talk to economists there and elsewhere are somewhere in the 2025, 2027 range that their economy will, in sort of gross terms, probably pass ours given the pace at which they're growing. But even then, one of the things people point out is that the per capita income is so dramatically different. You know, in the States, it's it's over 40000 Right now, uh, in China, it's about 3200 bucks. Wow. So, tr- so I mean, the uh, average American is... Like, over 10 times richer. Over 10 times, I mean, over 12 it, times richer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's almost it's impossible to imagine a China in, that ever would have the per capita income that we would have. They'd destroy the country through consumption and pollution and everything. So still, relatively speaking, and as people say, you know, you go half an hour outside of Beijing and, you know, you're you're with dirt farmers. And their life is much better than it was during the Cultural Revolution, but it bears no resemblance to, you know, rural life in America. And what about I mean, the others? salient fact in Chinese cities is is all the migrant workers. I mean, you see these rich, fancy people, but then you see those migrant workers are uh, substantially poorer than than Americans and substantially poorer than the rich people in China. So are they just locked out? Is there an economy for them? There is. It's complicated. Um, I went to this, I spent three hours at a mall, a place called Shinkong Place, which is a new mall, and it's all luxury, you know, Burberry, Fendi, all the places you and I shop out, Adam. Um, but I went there and I was I was asking Actually, people, Alex really does shop. At the Alex does? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I went there and I asked people to basically open their shopping bags and show me what they had bought. And there were like $350 coach bags and, you know, $500 silk scarves. And I was like, this is... I didn't know how some of the people were affording it. That $350 coach bag, that's at least two months, two and a half months salary for a lot of factory workers down in South China. And that's actually where I was on another story during part of this trip. And what's interesting there is a lot of people, they had laid off, you know, they laid off millions and millions of workers down there in the last year because Americans stopped buying. So a lot of these people who who had moved from the countryside to the factories, where they do relatively better than they do farming, you know, they've been sent back home. They've had to go back home and find, there are some inland factories that are developing. Some of them take what earnings they have and go back to, to smaller towns and start businesses. Um, but it does speak to the dramatically different experiences. I mean, when you're, when you're in some of these, and there are not that many of them, but, but you go to some of these high-end malls in Beijing, and it's like Rodeo Drive, and then you go to the factory towns, and people are, you know, a lot of people are laid off, and they're headed for the bus and that kind of thing. It's just a completely different experience. Did, did it feel like, like Detroit? Or, I mean, how, how is it similar? How is it different? Where you, another yeah. place you've spent a lot of yeah, time. I mean, it was you spent a lot of time, it, yeah. it dramatically worse than Detroit because the scale is, is extraordinary. I mean, in, you know, in Detroit, when you talk about the car company, you're talking about tens and thousands, maybe a couple hundred thousand jobs in the last two or three years. 
in South China, you're talking about millions upon millions of jobs. I would go back to factories that I'd been visiting two years ago, and they were locked up and abandoned, and there was just furniture strewn all over the place. I mean, people had just headed out because they were just were not the orders from the United States. And, and of course, people, they, they, there was this one... Um, one person I was talking to told me that they were running like three and four buses a day back to one small town in Sichuan province because that's where all the workers came from. And they just had so many people who wanted to go back home. So there was a sense there that um, in terms of the factory economy that, you know, maybe it would, you know, it would come back. They were beginning to hire again now that they saw a little more demand from the United States. But but there were people I interviewed who had cut their factory staffs from three hundred and uh, 3,500 people to 500 people in just a year. So it's really, really dramatic. Wow. Now, I, you know, you keep hearing that the entire Chinese economy is based on U.S. consumption, U.S. people buying goods that were made in China. Is that, is that not true for all those nouveau riches in, in Beijing and Shanghai? Uh, no. They, I mean, those people are not in the factory business. Um, some of them, I think, have been making money through real estate. Right now, there's a feeling that because of some of the changes that the Chinese government has made in terms of, you know, cutting uh, mortgage interest rates, pumping a lot of money into the mortgage market. That all that lo- government stimulus. All that, they, yeah, yeah. Essentially, and yeah. And they did what our government did. They, they spent, I think, $530 billion, something like that, which is bigger as uh, to the size of their economy than than our stimulus uh, spending on bridges and roads and all that stuff, right? Much more. And what's interesting in talking to some of my Chinese friends is many of them feel that that the place has, is in a property bubble now. The, the, the estimate is somewhere in the neighborhood of about a third of the economy is is export driven. There's a lot of money that comes out of investment, um, and. The market, but only obviously. a third. I mean, you you almost get the sense a hundred percent of the economy. It's not any. Yeah. It's still very. It's still very important. Um, it's still in many ways, and, and there's a lot of debate over that because some people will point out that when you take a lot of the products that I the, the components that come into the country and then are assembled in China and then sent on to the United States, that the actual value added in China isn't that great. And so some people will say that it's not as much of an export oriented economy as it appears to be, and therefore. It, may not have been hit as hard um, as one might expect, given the downturn in American consumption. That said, having just spent, you know, about uh, four or five days in the factory towns of South China, I mean, it was <laughs> it was like war. I mean, factories wiped out, workers laid off and, and, you know, having, you know, lost their jobs and just got on the bus and headed home. So it's dramatically different than it was two years ago. And... Um I was also interested, you said you went to Taiwan. I I remember when I first got to China, uh, the first time I went, it it felt like mainland China, at least the export-oriented manufacturing sector, it's almost like an arm of Taiwan. I mean, that the factories were owned by Taiwan, the managers, you know, seemed to be Taiwanese, had a Taiwan orientation. But we don't hear as much about Taiwan, I feel like, in the last few years. Is is Taiwan kind of losing it a little bit? It's very interesting. I I mean, the Taiwanese managers, you're exactly right. Um, They have the greatest competitive advantage in the China market because they speak Mandarin really, really well, and they understand the culture of the mainland. So they're even better than the Singaporeans in terms of of doing well uh, in business in, in China. Um, what's happened more recently is the Taiwanese feel like they're really falling behind. Um, China is now with ASEAN, the ASEAN countries trying to develop a free trade zone. 
Um, but because China has so much influence and it looks as, at Taiwan as a renegade province, nobody will do free trade agreements with Taiwan. And they were afraid that when this uh, free trade zone begins to emerge next year, they're going to be shut out. So right now, they're trying to do an economic cooperative agreement with, with China, and they're beginning to open up economic ties in a way that they've resisted for decades. And they sort of feel like this is essential to their survival. And, and what I found fascinating, I hadn't been to Taiwan since 2000, and back then it was a really defiant kind of island, independent country. Um, but the Taiwanese economy has really struggled since then, and now there's this sense on the island that their future is tied to the chi- Chinese economy, that they have to have a much more cooperative relationship with with uh, mainland China and Beijing. And you, you really get a sense that uh, they don't feel like they have a whole lot of choice in the matter, and that economics, the economic power of China, is really driving the politics across the Taiwan Straits. All right. Thank you to Frank Langfitt for taking the time to talk to us. Um, We will link to a lot of the great stories that he's done um, from his trip to China on our blog, npr.org slash money. And Alex, you and I got to get out of here. We got to go to the airport and fly to St. Louis to give a Planet Money Live event at the Grandel Theater. We're excited about that. We are very excited. Gateway to the West. Exactly. So please do send your emails to planetmoney at npr.org. As Alex said, check out the blog, npr.org slash money. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thank you for listening.